Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and Rachel and Jason are both joining me again today. Hello, Rachel. Hey, good morning, Warren and Jason. And yes, hello, Jason. Good morning. It's great to talk with you guys again. It is. Good, good to be together. So we are going to talk about mystery today. Very mysterious topic. Uh, there is a... There's a repeated concept or theme of mystery in in Colossians, which is the the book that we're going through on Sunday mornings, and we weren't really going to touch on it. I wasn't I didn't plan to really touch on it a lot in the sermon series, and so I thought this would be a good place to to kind of look at that theme or this concept of mystery because it is it's a prominent uh, or at least it's a repeated theme in the book of Colossians and really throughout a lot of Paul's writings. It's a theme that that we find come up. It comes up most extensively actually in Ephesians, which is a book that has quite a few parallels to Colossians. But then after Ephesians, we find it most frequently in, in the book of Colossians. And so we're going to read a section of Colossians this morning to kind of get us started. And I'm going to get there in just a second. But before we get to that, uh, I was curious to to see from y'all because mystery is is still it's a it's a genre of film entertainment literature that that many people just find interesting and and enjoyable and so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a question here that I didn't prep you for but do either of you have like a favorite mystery do you enjoy mysteries do you have a favorite show or book or movie that would be sort of mysterious in nature or genre? Oh yeah, great, great question. So I actually have one right at the ready because I read it, this is a book I read maybe a year ago, perhaps a little bit more than a year ago, but I still think about it a lot. And you know that you really liked a book when you're still thinking about it more than a year later. Um, And the author has written a, not a sequel, but I think it's supposed to be a follow-up, and I can't remember the name of it, but I, I've been—I want to start reading that pretty soon. But it's the Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, is the name of the book, hmm. um, and it is a mystery. I mean, think like Agatha Christie—you know, old manor house with uh, lots of people around gathered for a party, and someone dies, and the main character is trying to find out. You know how did she die and who killed her but the twist is that it's a time loop novel as well because due to mysterious circumstances the main character keeps waking up and repeating the same day over and over and over again but in the person of another guest at the party and it was amazing it was really cool so it combined two things that i really like mystery novels and time loops sounds confusing but interesting. <laughs> you know, it, in the beginning, it is a little confusing, but I think if you know going in that A, it involves time loops, B, the main character is going to be in a, you know, different person each right. time he loops, which he doesn't figure out immediately himself. But knowing that kind of going into it makes it make a little bit more sense, but it's still, you know, really, really thrilling. So I gotcha. Cool. So seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. It gets Jason's stamp of approval. Very good. Oh, it's excellent. Rachel, do you excellent. have one at the ready? I I recently finished reading Phantom of the Opera, which doesn't 
uh, I guess isn't typically classified as a mystery, but I think it has elements of mystery because you're kind of wondering who is this guy? Who is this phantom? What's wrong with him? Why does he behave the way that he does? (laughs) And how is it all going to turn out? You know? Um, so I actually started reading that book, I think when I was eight. Um, and I finished it this year. (laughs) (laughs) I've had books like that. Yeah. What Um, a journey. (laughs) I know. Right. Yeah. So I still had my bookmark in the place I left off. And since I've seen the movies and stuff so many times, I was like, oh, I think I'm familiar enough. I can just pick up there. And so I finished it. Um, but yeah, I like stories that like pull you in or, and are intriguing. I could also think of like social moments. Um, like in junior high, my friend's birthday party was a murder mystery party and we all dressed up as characters and played out this story and like things like that are just so memorable when you're with a group of people and you're striving to discover or searching for something together. And then when you find it out, it's just so fulfilling. And I think we probably all remember that party. Do you think that, do you, cause mysteries are like, they're, they're intriguing. They're, they're something we, we all seem to have interest in. At, at one level or another, is it kind of that search for discovery that, that you think is so appealing about it? Or is, yeah. is it the trying to figure out the unknown? Is there just an appeal to figuring out the unknown? Yeah, and I think it, especially if it's a party like that, it kind of gives you this bond, this shared experience, or also like we're the ones who know, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's actually part of what Paul fights against is this idea of like Gnosticism or pride of like you're the special group who knows this secret information. And he's he's basically like, we all know it now because of Christ. Mm, yeah. Yeah, because my... the. the the uh the favorite of mine that i thought of kind of most or first or immediately was the show lost which still remains my my all-time one of my two all-time favorite shows and certainly the mystery element of that was was part of the appeal certainly and and even at the end uh, I won't spoil anything, but they didn't, you know, they didn't wrap up all the mysteries or explain all of the mysteries of the show at at the end. And that was one of the things that people really didn't like about the ending was that it kind of left all these other things out there. And there are various reasons why they did that. And they even kind of admitted they had to throw in some fillers in the middle seasons just because ABC wanted the show to run longer. But But there were some mysteries that weren't ever fully explained. And that kind of that didn't sit well with some people because we want we want we want the mystery, but then we want to know like was my was my prediction right? Is that is that what it turned out to be? Did I get it right, or or was it something else? So we like the mysterious nature of it, but we also like the mystery being revealed, which is kind of what I think we get into with with Paul's writing. So maybe that'll lead us well into to what we're going to get into because because Paul talks about mystery as I said several times. But but mostly it's about this idea that there is, that there is this mystery that has been hidden, that has been veiled, that has been a mystery for generations, and now now in Christ that has been revealed. So it's this mystery revealed sort of. And so we're going to get into that today. And and there's a section of Colossians. This is actually the sec- section that we looked at in the sermon uh, this past Sunday, but. So I'm going to read the same section of Colossians, but in the sermon, I really focused primarily almost exclusively on verse 24, and so that's where I'm going to start today as well and read from Colossians 1, 24 down through chapter 2, verse 3, 
And, and we're going to see this concept of mystery show up several times just in this short reading. And, and so I'm going to read this, but then, like I said, we're, we're pretty um, exclusively today going to be thinking about this idea of mystery as we see it here, and then maybe extend that to other places that, that we see it in Paul's writings or what we think Paul is getting at with this idea of mystery. So picking up in Colossians 1.24, Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regarding to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay. So I think there, there are obviously three references just in that short reading to this idea of mystery. And, and I think when you look at it, Paul first says that the mystery is, is the word of God in its fullness. Then he says the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And finally, that the mystery of God is namely Christ. So there's a theme there to be sure. I think there are some connective threads and so as we begin to, to kind of think about mystery in Paul's writings, how do you primarily understand what Paul is getting at here when he talks about this mystery? What is the mystery and, and why is it mysterious? I think there's this question that builds up from the Old Testament of how is God going to fulfill his promises? How is he going to save the world? And who will be the Messiah? So we have this this foretold Messiah figure from the Old Testament. And so the Jews have been waiting with longing and expectation of like, he's going to come. We don't know who, who he's going to be or how or when, all of that. Um, so the, I think the heart of the matter is how will God fulfill his promises and save his people and save the world? Um, and then who, through who? And the answer that Paul keeps saying is Christ. Jesus is the answer to all of those questions. Yeah, so this is something that Israel has been waiting for. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's the how, it's the who. It's also the, the, the when as well. Like, when, when is this going to happen? And you can see the ways throughout the Old Testament that, that the prophets have been looking towards this. And like you said, I think they, they probably had questions about a lot of their leaders, right? Like, is this, is this going to be the one... Is, is this the one that we've been waiting for? Is this person going to be the Messiah? And, and that idea of not knowing who, when, 
how like they even though they had some of those prophecies it's still kind of a mystery and and it seems like that certainly even during Jesus's lifetime for many people seems to me be maybe why they didn't fully recognize it because there is that mysterious aspect of it that isn't kind of more completely revealed until his his resurrection even for the disciples themselves yeah so one of my favorite passages of scripture is Luke 24 when some followers of Jesus are walking along the road and their hearts are down because Jesus has died and Jesus joins along them and starts walking with them and he's like what's going on you know tell me what's happening and they basically say we thought that he Jesus was the one to restore Israel and so I think that that is this desire that the people of God, his covenant people that we talked about with Jacob, Abraham, they believe that God is going to restore Israel. And that could be as a kingdom or just to be peaceful and secure or to, to have um, dominion over Zion. So they put all their hope in Jesus as that person when he was alive. And then when he dies, they're like, man. Like, we really thought he was the one. Um, and so Jesus basically shows them, yes, I am. I was always supposed to suffer and die. Like, this is the mystery revealed. Um, and so, yeah, the disciples were hoping for that fulfillment of mystery in Jesus. And then it was only after his resurrection they realized, oh, he is the answer to the mystery. And yes, he does restore Israel, but it's greater than Israel. It's all nations being blessed through Abraham and all that Christ died for all people. And so they really, I think the, their mystery was much smaller. They thought it was just about Israel, God's people. But then Jesus shows, no, this is about all nations. Yeah, I think that's the, the key takeaway for me is the, the fact that it is for all people, that it isn't, that this isn't just, God is not just God of the Jews. That God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles to the slave and the free to, you know, the, you know, Jew and Greek alike. Um, and, and so when I see that, uh, you know, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. You know, so, so it's, it's the Gentiles who also, in addition to the Jewish people, will also benefit from, uh, you know, what God is doing through Christ, uh, the hope of uh, the hope of glory. So, and I feel like that's the aspect of it that that people still didn't get after Jesus's resurrection. That a lot of the Jewish people still didn't get after Jesus's resurrection. That is the part of the mystery that Paul is still working to reveal. That. Because I think that the Jewish people are waiting for this this kind of mystery to be revealed, as as Rachel explained well for us, this idea of who's going to be the Messiah, how's it going to happen, when's he going to come, all those things. Then he comes in Jesus, and you could kind of see that as kind of almost the, the mystery revealed in and of itself, that, okay, here's here's the Savior, the Messiah of the Jewish people. And I think Paul is reminding them, like, that's, that's not the full extent of it. <laughs> like that's part of the mystery. But as y'all have said, the, the full revelation of the mystery is that through Christ, this is open for all people. And I think the irony of that is that that was always the prophecy. Like throughout all the Old Testament scriptures, that's the idea um, that, that the whole world 
as you said, Rachel is going to be blessed through this lineage of, of Abraham. But it seems like that had sort of gotten, that had gotten seemingly lost or discounted. And it became mostly about how is it going to impact, you know, us in, in the Jewish people. And I think really, to me, I think that's a concept that, that continues on today, that sometimes we have a very narrow view of things, like how is this going to impact me? Um, and so just f- for instance, I guess that, that kind of preludes some of where, where I want to go with this, because there does seem to be this added layer that, that Paul adds to this, that it is not, the mystery isn't just about Christ, that it is the word of God in its fullness. And so if you think about the word of God in flesh as Jesus, that the mystery is the word of God in in fullness. And it's the full expression of, of the, the word made flesh. There's something about the fullness of the word that is also a mystery. And, and so to that end, I think many times when Paul talks about this mystery, as, as we've already referenced, there is a connection to the Gentiles. And so Paul's own mission to the Gentiles, a mission that he was specifically given by Christ himself, that is, that is part of this mystery, and it's wrapped up in, in, in all this mystery about Christ. And so that's where I think in, in a couple of other Paul's letters, we see that come through just as we do, as, as Jason just reminded us in, in this reading from Colossians. And so there's a part of Ephesians, a part of Ephesians 3, where Paul says, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. So there again, there's this reminder that it's not only about Jesus, but it's about the promise that we have in Jesus and this open invitation that extends to all people because of that. And we see the same thing in Romans where, where he says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden uh, for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's how Paul ends. That's the ending of Romans. So that's like what everything in Romans is building towards, this idea that the, that the mystery is about all this extending to the Gentiles as well. And so I have some thoughts about that, but I want to pause for a minute and get see if any, either of you have any either thoughts about those those writings or that idea. I think that was probably pretty mind blowing for for Paul first and then for his audiences because I think they always thought restore Israel, restore Israel. We are God's blessed people. We are the people of the covenant of the promise, you know. Um, and so just this idea that starts with Christ and then continues to be revealed through Paul and through the other apostles. And like when Peter goes to preach or uh, to Cornelius's family and they all repent and they're Gentiles, there's this whole big issue in the church. Oh, well, can the Holy Spirit come on Gentiles now? So there was kind of a progression of the revealing that started with Christ and goes out in waves to all the people and all the nations. Um, and I really think that 
yeah, it's human tendency to, to just focus on us, like our group and how does this affect us. Um, and so that may have been what some of the Jews were doing. And God is just like shattering those walls <laughs> and breaking down all those barriers. And I think Ephesians says God, Jesus broke down the wall of hostility. Um, so I think it was pretty mind blowing. But when you go, once you read this and then go back and read the Old Testament, it's like consistent. Oh, actually, right. this was God's plan all along. It just took them some time to, to shatter their their mindsets. <laughs> Yeah, I think we have to remember that when a lot of times when we when we read in the Bible it talking about God's chosen or God's people or something like that it's not saying that there is necessarily a place of privilege in that but that it's a place of it's a it's a statement of responsibility that those people have a responsibility of bringing God and God's message and God's um, benevolence and God's omnipotence to others, whoever those others might be. And uh, that was true, you know, at various points through the Old Testament, but it was especially true uh, once that was expanded. You, you know, I, I think even like when when we talk about the sort of special relationship that David had, King David had with God, it wasn't because King David was like a better person or, you know, they said uh, David was a man after God's own heart. That wasn't because he was objectively better or more moral. I mean, we know that he made plenty of mistakes and had some pretty egregious sins, uh, but it was more that he had a responsibility of bringing God's presence or his message or his uh, essence of, you know, however you want to term it, to a larger group. That that was a responsibility that David had. And then we fast forward to Jesus, and that was the whole purpose of Jesus's existence. That was the purpose of his death and his resurrection. And now that has been transmitted to Christians and so being a Christian certainly in first century this is the case but even still today when as Christians we live in a very privileged position uh, being the the dominant um, you know American religion if not the dominant world religion that that there's still there is such a a, a position of you know it can be very easily mistaken as we are in a position of privilege um, because of that. And while in many ways that is true, being God's people is not about the privilege. It's about the responsibility that that privilege affords. It's about the responsibility for other people that comes with that. I can't help but but see in in the passage in Ro at the end of Romans, it says, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings of the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Uh, it, it, the, the mystery being referred to there is so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes through faith. That's the purpose. You know, this isn't a mystery in order to privilege a few. It's not a mystery just for the sake of mysteriousness. It's a mystery so that all the Gentiles might come to obedience that comes from faith. 
Yeah, and I, I think I think then what to me what Paul is is seems to be trying to get through to to I think both Gentiles and Jews, especially in Romans, where where it's it's definitely this book where you see that that there's a shared audience kind of there of what is this going to look like for us as Jews and Gentiles to get along together in this kind of new Christ-centered community. And and he seems to repeatedly be saying that like you're you're now one in in Christ. Um and and I think that's part of the mystery then I do think is conceptually is he's trying to remind people that like the kingdom of God is is much larger and more expansive than you've probably thought. And and I think that is is the applicable thing for us because I do think sometimes it's easy for us to read this and think, well yeah, of of course the kingdom of God isn't limited to Jews. As people who are not Jews, that's an easy concept for us to get that Christ is for more than Jewish people. Like that's that's just kind of recognized, we can move past it. But to recognize that, you know, t- to use the imagery that you used from scripture, Rachel, like we still have walls of hostility that need to be broken down today in our own lives. Um, you could say, I mean, look at what's happening in that part of the world still. Like there are still issues of, of dramatic conflict in, in the part of the world that, that, that Paul is, is writing from and about and referencing. And, and we've seen that, you know, on display fully in, in recent weeks. We have in our own lives and in our own country, you know, walls of hostility. And I think there are probably ways that we could all stand to have our view of the kingdom be revealed as more expansive and larger than sometimes we we believe or we act out or whatever that may be and and that maybe there are or I think definitely there are ways in which sometimes our own view of the kingdom is is too narrow and and maybe sometimes we struggle to recognize who all are heirs of the kingdom and sharers in the kingdom and, and think about how that should impact the ways that we live out our faith and, and think about the kingdom. Yeah, so maybe the mystery is still working itself out even in our generation, and that's probably due to our own small-mindedness, but I think that we can invite God to, to help us understand that mystery better now um, and to, to let him express to us what is, what are the implications of the revelation of the mystery to us in our time? I think you're right. Cause I think Paul would say like for Paul, the mystery is clearly revealed in Christ, right? And so he's going about trying to, ex- trying to explain what that means. And that looks like in his kind of current context. And, and I think, I think you could say the same thing for us that like, we've got the, We've got this revelation of the mystery. We've got this, this recognition of the mystery being revealed. But for us, it may be that, that our eyes and our hearts are still veiled in certain ways, that it's not like we're waiting for something. We're, we're maybe more waiting for, for us to realize it more fully or clearly. And, and you know, because I, I, I read one description and kind of one writing that I read about this and thinking about this topic one writer said, a mystery is something that was once veiled, but now is plainly revealed. And so for Paul, that mystery is primarily Christ, but then connected to that, the, the idea extends to his own mission to the Gentiles, as we've been talking about. And, and so it has made me wonder, like, what are our, what would be our mysteries? And are there veiled aspects of the gospel that we still struggle to live out, struggle to comprehend fully, 
that could be kind of our own personal or communal corporate mysteries that we're still working to fully unveil in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own minds. Yeah, and I think the foundation for that unveiling process should be the scripture itself, because this is where the mysteries have been revealed. Yeah. Um, Especially this key one of how is God going to be faithful and save his people and the whole world through Christ. Um, So in the process of investigating or trying to, to find the answers to our own mysteries, um, the answers will come from Scripture and from the illumination of the Holy Spirit. I think that we wouldn't be having, you know, these kinds of conversations uh, and, you know, books and documentaries and, you know, numerous other podcasts and TV shows and stuff like that would not exist if we had solved all of the mysteries of Christ and all the mysteries that God has presented to us. I think it it's kind of maybe it's part of our nature that that we are you know suspicious that you know god's given us all the information that we need to know certainly god hasn't given us all the information that we want to know that's definitely you know not the case but but it it could certainly be argued that god's given us all the information we need to know um what do you see as and i know i'm kind of turning things around here by me asking the question so take that uh, what do you see? It's <laughs> all right. Go yeah. for it. What do you see as as some of the mysteries that perhaps have yet to be revealed at this point? And and there are various points in Scripture where it says that all will be revealed and and has yet to be revealed. You know, especially through some of the uh, some of the writings of Paul later in his ministry. What are some of those mysteries that? Um, that you see as we haven't quite encountered yet? Well, I think that there are some that scripture leaves open intention for us. And some of those are like Jesus's words that many will say to him, Lord, Lord, we did miracles in your name. And he'll say, depart from me. I didn't know you. Like apparently there are going to be some surprises of who is in the kingdom and who is not. Um, And so I think just the concept, the full consummation of the kingdom of God, how it will come to be, when, where, is it a physical place or is it something else? Um, the remaking of the earth, what does that look like? I, and our heavenly bodies, what do our heavenly bodies look like? So I think there are many theological questions from scripture that are still mysteries yet to be fully revealed to us. Yeah, it's an interesting question, Jason. Are, are you... Are you thinking more like mysteries related to to kind of the full understanding of the kingdom or like mysteries about elements of scripture that we don't have the answers to? Uh, probably more having to do the mysteries of the kingdom. I think the mysteries of scripture in m- many times kind of boil down to the limitations of language and how, you know, language attempts to take abstract concepts and represent them verbally or or in a written way and i think and i come across this all the time in my work um as a therapist it's language universally is wholly inadequate for fully being able to express those things accurately and completely um and i think that's part of the reason why the bible (laughs) has so much to it you know the bible is is 
the longest book that that the vast majority of people will ever read um you know assuming that they actually read all of it uh and so i think that that the mystery of scripture is unending uh not just because of this but at least in part because of the inadequacy of language on the other hand i think the mysteries of the kingdom i find a little a lot more fascinating and a lot more uh enticing to to think about and to kind of try to look at yeah that's good because that yeah my, my mind immediately went to like if you're just talking about mysteries of scripture like you don't have to you can just start reading in genesis and all of a sudden in the creation story we've got mystery right is this literal six days or adam and eve individual people or amalgamations of of groups of people like already we've we have we have mysteries and different interpretations and different ways to read that, which again, as you said, gets to the limits of not only language, I think, but just the purpose. What is, is the purpose of this to give us a kind of a, a, a scientific accurate description of creation or is it, telling, is it telling a story? And so I think, you know, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of mysteries for scripture, but as you think about the, the kind of the kingdom mysteries and kind of going forward from here. I mean, the first one I would think about is it's, you know, we've got this mystery of, of when is Christ coming back, right? That to me is, is kind of the, the big one. What is, what does that look like? When will it be? And what does it actually and, mean? I mean, isn't that a huge what does it mi- mean? Minis- uh, mystery? Like what, what does it mean for Christ to be coming back? And, and that's something yeah. that's endlessly debated. Is it, you know, Christ is coming back in a literal physical form? Is it more allegorical? Is it more, you know, the judgment of God? I mean, there are so many different theories and hypotheses that have been put out there that, you know, take the scriptures various degrees of literal versus allegorical. And yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's a great example of one, in my opinion. And I think that's one where I hadn't really thought about this until just this conversation, but I think that is maybe a connection that we have to the people of the Old Testament that that they're, as you said, there's all kinds of theories. There's people who have predicted, well, it's going to be at this time. It's going to be with this event. You know, how, I mean, how many things, even in our lifetime, have people predicted, you know, this is the mark of the beast from Revelation, Right. Anywhere from things in in politics to barcodes, you know, on grocery items, whatever it is, it's like, well, this is this is the mark of the beast. All these things that are supposed to point to this kind of coming, coming, you know, second coming or, or whatever. And and so I do think that may be, maybe a little, maybe give us more um, more connection to some of those the the people, the stories, the predictions the mysteries of the Old Testament that maybe I had kind of even fully thought of or, or realized before. That's a really, really great connection. I think that that increases our compassion too toward the saints of old and the people of the Old Testament. If they were waiting for something that they didn't know exactly what it looked like and when it was going to come and how it would be fulfilled, and that's pretty much the same situation that we're in right now, and we can talk about it and theories and and uh, dissect the scriptures, but we'll probably not get it quite right because God's plan is always greater and more mysterious and more beautiful than we could have imagined or formulated ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and that and I think that statement right there, what you just said, Rachel, um, it should always be kind of the centering humility that keeps us from uh, completely shooting down or rejecting, 
you know, other people as they're exploring their faith. It's very tempting to be like, oh, no, you got it all wrong. You know, that's not it at all. Um, even if that's true, even if we're talking with somebody and engaging with somebody who, in fact, does have it all wrong and their interpretation is, you know, incredibly off base, um, I don't think it does anybody any good to approach it like that, you know? And and we always have to leave open the possibility that maybe I have more things wrong than I realize. And so I have to I have to have the humility that that goes into conversations and thoughts and even prayer and meditation with the sense of no matter how well I may think I have it figured out, I'm not at I, I, I don't have it figured out as well as I think I do. Yeah, that's really great. And I think that perspective of humility is important within Christ, within Christianity, all our diverse opinions, but then outside and other religions and people of non-faith. But I will say that Paul is super firm on what he knows he has right. <laughs> and he he is like, I received this as a command from the Lord. Like, this is from Jesus, my calling. This is who Jesus is. And so I believe that there are some things that we can say, for sure, this is correct, because this is what the scripture teaches. And then there are other areas where we can be more open and listen and um, but like the essentials of our faith, like that, that Christ is the savior, that Jesus is the Messiah, you know, those things, I feel like you can still be kind when you talk about it. That's what the new Testament teaches, but you don't have to be wishy-washy. Well, and I, I'm not advocating being wishy-washy. What I'm advocating for is kind of, I always, I always believe that it's important to respect the fact or respect the possibility, not because it may not be a fact. But respect the possibility that the conclusions that another person came to were arrived at with the same amount of thought and deliberation and investigation and and meditation and research and maybe even prayer and prayerful consideration as my position was. Now, that may not always be true, but I don't know that. I can't know that. I don't know them. I don't know their heart. I don't know you know, what has brought them to where they are today. Um, and so I, I, if nothing else, want to respect the process that other people may have gone to to get where I am. And that's not to say that I'm going to be a pushover. It, it's more a matter of I'm going to remain firm in what I believe, but I, I can't expect for someone else to simply abandon their beliefs simply because I say so. You know, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, there's a decent chance that I haven't got God completely figured out yet. Mm-hmm. Like, just more than likely. Let's say 100%. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's actually, yeah. Hopefully, that keeps us humble, and it's something we remember because it's actually sort of part of the the scary part about teaching and preaching for me is that, like, you know, I, I probably. Not probably. I said that, you know, sort of tongue in cheek. I don't have all this figured out myself. None of us do. Are you sure, Warren? I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm sure on most days. And I think this past, like, so we're, you know, the sermon from this past week was definitely an example of that where Colossians 124 is like, you can, like I said, I focused on that verse primarily in the sermon. And there are just countless interpretations of that one verse and like, what does Paul mean by filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? 
Like even the ways that you translate some of those words could send you in completely different directions. Where again, Jason, you talk about the limitations of language. Like you know, there's just all kinds of different directions you can go with just that one verse, and and that's just one verse, <laughs> and and so so yeah, there's there's definitely some humility that that comes into play there. I was trying to think of there's this great line that that God says to Job um, when God finally kind of starts speaking to Job in that story, and I can't I can't remember what it is exactly, but he basically tells him like, look, dude, like wisdom does not begin and end with you. Like you don't have all the answers. So let me tell you some things. (laughs) Um, and, and I think that's a good reminder for us that when we, when we start to think that, that we have all things figured out and, and that's kind of where I wanted to, to kind of lead us the kind of the final thought that I had for today, at least is that I think it's good for us to have a healthy appreciation for mystery and, and that maybe humility is, is, is part of that. Hopefully humility is part of that, but I found, uh, kind of again, in some of my other looking around about this topic, I found this quote about mystery as it relates to our interpersonal relationships. And it didn't have a name with it of who wrote it, so I can't give them credit. But it, it goes like this. It says, mystery is at the heart of our relationships with others. If we ever get to the point where we say of someone that there is no mystery there, we can be sure that we are failing to appreciate the depth, the beauty, the pain, the reality of who that person is. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to think about our relationships with other people, but, but also our relationship with God. And, and I hope that we can have an, a healthy appreciation for mystery, both as it relates to our connections to other people um, and, as, and as it relates to, to our connection, our relationship with God. Because even though the mysteries that Paul spoke of have been clearly revealed at this point through, through Scripture, that doesn't mean that we fully grasp the depth, the beauty, the love, the grace of God, just as we've been talking about. It doesn't mean that I fully understand the motivations, the thoughts, the behaviors uh, of other people, as we've been thought to, thinking about. And there's more to learn, more to experience, more to be revealed in our own hearts and minds. Amen. That's meditative. That's a thought to take away. Yeah, that I, I think what I like about that is is hubris is one of the I think most destructive sins um, that Christians often fall into, uh, and I think that that is a call to be on the lookout for your own hubris. Be on the lookout for how your confidence. And this is really what I was getting to earlier is be on the lookout for how your confidence might be, if not misleading you, at least putting blinders on you. Um, And I think, you know, especially when it comes to interacting with other people, appreciating who they are, appreciating where they come from, that again, even if they are, you know, dead set wrong, no question about it, 100%, you know, demonstrably wrong. I still need to have love and respect and compassion for that person. I still need to have an appreciation for the process that they may have gone through that brought them to the conclusion that they arrived at, even if that conclusion is in fact wrong. And so that, that, and so that speaks to more and what I think that quote says about, you know, the mystery of others and, and never failing to see that mystery. No one is as simple as we may think they might be. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, even just reading it just now, Jason, with you kind of here, I was wondering about that, that, like, because I know you probably see a lot of just sort of broken relationships and things like that in, in counseling from a counseling perspective. Do you find that to be a common trend kind of in relationships that break down is just an unwillingness, an unwillingness to, to maybe dis, or a lack of a desire to discover more about oh, the other person? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in, in fact, I have a, a couple that I'm seeing this afternoon where fundamentally they both feel like they know the other person inside and out and they don't like what they see, but there's a lot more nuance and they aren't seeing the, the good aspects of the other person. Um, well, I say that. They, I, I think they may be coming around a little bit. But uh, I think a lot of times couples, uh, marriage relationships begin to fall apart when, when, both, when, when one partner or the other or both begins to feel like they got the other person figured out. I know who this person is. And I, either I don't like what I believe to be true about them or I'm bored with what I believe to be true about them or I find it un as you know unfulfilling in a relationship you know something like that that's usually when the marriage starts to deteriorate and what what part of what I do in my job is help couples to kind of rediscover that mystery and it, and it is there I've you know I've been doing this now for 20 years and I've yet to come across a relationship where that isn't the case. I also do that with the students that I supervise. Look for the mystery in your client. A lot of times, you know, even though you, you know, the counselor may not know the client very well, but sometimes my students come in and they're like, yeah, there's not really much to this. And I'm like, uh, there's probably a lot more to it than you realize. Look, look yeah. a little, dig a little deeper. That's good. Look, look for the mystery. We'll close with that thought for today. So thank you all again for, for taking some time to talk through this. I've enjoyed the conversation and appreciate the perspective that, that y'all both bring to it. And uh, Rachel, will you, will you close us out in, in prayer for our time today? Lord, thank you for your love and for your grace to us. I pray that you would continue to illuminate our minds and give us wisdom and understanding of your word and of these great mysteries. May we not lose focus of the main mystery that has been revealed and just rejoice in that, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.